It truly is a wonderful story. And oh, how people who refuse to read it and follow it, oh, how they're missing out on the greatness of our God. It's wonderful to be a child of God. Thank you for being here tonight, for choosing to honor God. What a blessing and what an honor. It's good to see you here, both members and visitors alike, those who are online, those who are here present. God bless you, and thank you for taking the time tonight to worship. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be your children, for extending your grace to us, for softening our hearts that we might receive your word, for giving us the understanding and the humility to to surrender to your word. Your name is powerful. We separate it out from all things that exist in this life and in the spirit world. For you are magnificent. Thank you for allowing us to pray to you through Jesus, your great and awesome son. Thank you for giving us that blessing that the authority through Jesus stamps your approval upon each and every prayer and that the words that we echo into heaven go into your ears. And, oh God, it is you who respond to our every cry. Strengthen our faith and help our unbelief. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee to be that will. Amen. Proverbs, please, chapter 12. We're going to continue on the the idea of a merry heart, right? Happiness, excitement, and joy in Christ our Lord. So, as we talked about this morning, the the best psychologist ever is is God. Uh, His his therapy is is straightforward, and it's, it's to the point. Keeping a good relationship with God will bring joy into your heart. That without question, even in difficult times. And joy is good medicine. So a joyful heart is good preventative, corrective treatment of the mind. And nothing has such a direct tendency to ruin health and waste our lives than the absence of joy. As the Bible says, a joyful heart is good medicine. Grief, nervousness, worry, bad tempers, anger, I mean, it just depresses the heart. And the Christian attitude aids in the health and wellness of the mind. So what God tells us in his word is you actually have more control over your physical body than you think you do. So let's look at the idea of a merry heart. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. A long time ago I would hear people say, you know, um, it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't answer. Uh, I found that answering is okay. <laughs> Maybe it's just for me, I don't know, but, you know, but answering it with with the Word of God, you know, self-talk, to 
Talk to yourself to remind yourself of, of how great God is. Turn to chapter 25 and that whatever you're going through in life, instead of, instead of going down that spiraling, rippling effect of negativity, to talk yourself out of it and, and, and talk to yourself about the greatness of God. Because good words, whether spoken to someone else, or as the world might call us crazy, is speaking to ourselves, good words to a weary heart make us feel better and perk us up. Got to snap out of those moods sometimes. Got to snap out of that bad attitude. And that is a choice. Proverbs 25, verse 11 and verse 12, like apples of gold and settings of silver, is a word spoken in right circumstances. Have you ever just reminded yourself of something and it made you feel better? You know, you, 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 maybe you felt down, cast, and you were struggling, and then you reminded yourself of something that God has done for you in the past, and then you remind yourself that God's gonna bring me through. Think about the Psalm we read. You read the Psalms, and that's David talking to himself. By his words, he's writing, you know, I'm going through this, Lord, and here's where I've been, and this is what I've been through, but God brought me through it. And there's always this positive spin to the Psalm. In verse 12, the text says, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So I have to listen to the self-talk that is given to me as I recite the word of God, right? That's why you want it's chapter 4. That's why you want to put God's word in your heart so that you can find the right answer, right? Let God talk to you through his word. It is essential to take care of your heart and to guard it against evil, right? Guard against evil. Your conscience will talk to you too, right? You ever been doing something you know you're not supposed to? And you know, you know, you kind of say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Stop. Right? I mean, well then stop. Turn around. Do something different or do, if you will, the right thing. Guard that mind. Guard the heart. Verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 4. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. and They are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And so I've got to put myself in check. Right? To check myself. Hey, preacher. Are you going down the right path? Are you in the right place? Are you, are you doing things or thinking about things you ought not? Well then stop. Change. Turn around. Look at chapter 14. Soundness of mind is critical. It is critical to good health. Chapter 14 verse 30. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. So, Having that tranquility, thank you God for that. That's what we ask for. You know, the peace that surpasses all comprehension. People ask for that, but they're not willing to do always what it takes to, to gain that peace. you got to put the Word of God into your hearts. A Christian needs to be governed by sound principles of truth, righteousness, and holiness. A Christian's heart should be filled with love, meekness, kindness. You know, the joy of being able to put joy into someone else's heart actually puts joy into your own heart. 
It's, it's almost like that rubber band thing, you know. It, it goes out, but it always comes back. The boomerang effect, you could call it. It goes out, but it always comes back. When you bring joy into the hearts of other people, it always comes back. But a heart that's free from wrath and anger, a heart that's free from from all the things, you know, envy and and passions and all the things that destroy us. Those things, when you free yourself from all those things, it brings happiness to the heart and health to the bones. You know what forgiveness does? It frees you. It frees you like nothing else. Learn to forgive. To forgive everything. Learn to just, just forgive. Just don't even worry about it. Learn to, learn to let things go. The body, we know it responds to the activities of the mind, right? It's what we think. You know, the more that we think about the negative, you know, the worse we feel. The more that I, I, I dwell on, on depression and depressed things, the more depressed I feel. The heavier the heart. You ever notice when, when you're angry, everything's off? <laughs> you know, you're just so angry and you're walking around and you stub your toe and then you, I mean, everything's off. Everything messes up. Because it's so fixated and focused on, on this one thing. And it makes life tough. Body aches, anxiety, body aches, sores, mental anguish, depression, negativity, negative thinking. You can, you can think of, of lots of things that are good and positive if you dwell on the Word of God. And having a positive outlook on life. I know sometimes it's hard to find the positive and bad things, right? It's tough. Sometimes you gotta dig a little bit deeper. Sometimes you gotta dig a whole ditch to find the good, but you gotta find the good in everything. Because you have to remember that if God allows it to happen or if God brings us to it, you have to trust and believe and know that God will bring us through it. You have to believe that and trust that. Chapter 15 and verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast, a feast in joy. So in Christ, continue to feast on his word. The more that you dig into God's word, you realize something. That what Solomon said is true. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, all the things that we go through, they've already gone through. And then you can see the various outcomes of those situations is almost, it's almost like looking, you know, into the matrix, if you will. You kind of get to see the past and you get to see the present and you can even kind of see the future in a way because you can see the outcome. Well, when so-and-so did this, this was not a very good outcome. He fought against God. He lost. When so-and-so did this, it was a wonderful outcome. He surrendered to God and he won. And yet their trials were serious and difficult. Let God have his way. Life becomes simpler. Verse 30, same chapter. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news put fat on the bones. Good news. Teach, teach your mind to see. Train your mind to see the good news. 
in every situation, even in dire circumstances, see the the good news. Turn to First Peter chapter one. There's there's always something to ponder on or to think about, and I want to give you something to ponder on and to think about. To do your best to have a positive outlook on life. First Peter one and verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now wait a minute. How can I rejoice? And why are these Christians who are scattered, why are they rejoicing, though they have been encumbered with these various trials? Well, because you see, what they reminded themselves of was this. This life is not it. This isn't it. We're just going to be here for a little while longer and then we get to go home. The next verse says, verse 7, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory because this life is not it. There's the next life. And so as we live in this life, turn to Romans 14, and we go through various trials, keep your mind focused on heaven. Keep your mind focused on what is to come and remind yourself that regardless of the outcome of this very situation, if I stick with God, I win, I cannot possibly lose. That's joy. And what great joy we can have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God is not about this physical world. It's about the spirit world in which we live while living in or dwelling in a physical world. So trusting in God, back to Proverbs chapter 13. Trusting in God and believing and knowing based on what you already know. So based on the evidence that is before you, trusting in God that he will never let you down. And how can you trust him in that? Because he's never let you down. And when you reflect on your life and your past and you recognize all the things that he's brought you through, you say, God has never let me down, so I know he will never let me down. I not only read the words in the scripture that God will never leave nor forsake us, I have experienced it. And we can remind ourselves of that. Verse, chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred. Makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You've been disappointed in life, right? All of us have in some way or another. But never by God. God has never disappointed us. And so when I think about hope, you know, it's that thing, that desire you have for something, whatever it may be. Usually it's in the physical and, and it doesn't quite turn out the way you hoped it would. I mean, you had all you had these visions of what would happen, and it and it didn't happen. And when you begin to dwell on that hope, over someone promises you something, and you wait and you wait, and they never really follow through. 
it kind of makes the heart sad and depressed. It's this deferred hope, and then it doesn't happen. Ask yourself, was this of God? Maybe it's a blessing that it didn't happen. Did I seek God out in this? Did I say truly to God, God, whatever your will is, if it's, if it's this way, God, this is my desire. However, if this is what you think will destroy my soul, if you know this is going to destroy me spiritually, take it from me. Do we think spiritually enough in this idea of what we want and what we desire to where we really trust in God to handle that business and say, Lord, if it is not your will, I don't want it. Or do I want it so badly that it doesn't matter if it's God's will or not? And if that is my attitude, then unfortunately, this scripture right here, hope deferred, it's going to make your heart sick because you're going to be let down. And you know what's unfortunate? What's unfortunate is the preacher will be the first one to tell you, give me enough time and eventually I'll let you down because I'm a human, right? I'm just a human. And that goes for all of us. Because none of us are perfect. But there's one place that I know we can go where we'll never be let down. And that is to God. But how much do I trust Him to really carry me along the way to give me what He wills and not what I want? Look at Ecclesiastes, please. Chapter 1. Many people are depressed today because they just don't have all the expected to have, or even all that we selfishly want. So we're never set. You ever, you ever met someone like that? They're never satisfied. You know, they have this, they have that, we have this. In America, we, wow, we ought to be really satisfied. Thank God for everything that we have. We have more conveniences than most necessities that are needed in the world. We are so amazingly blessed. And sometimes through that blessing or through those blessings, we become, should I just say me, we become spoiled brats. You know, uh, you know my dishwasher broke to the world. The whole world is over. No, just, just do it by hand. <laughs> I mean, I don't want my dishwasher to break, but if it does, right, the world is not over. You ever met people like that with that doom and gloom? What's going to break next? I don't know. Something is made by humans. It's going to break. We don't want it to happen. But it happens. What's my outlook on life? Am I truly thankful and say, you know, this dishwasher has worked for the last three years and hasn't broken one time. It finally broke. Man, praise God for that. Or do I say, oh, here it goes again. Although it's the first time it broke down. (laughs) The negative... The negative outlook on life makes the heart sick. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 8. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. I just want what I want. We want what we want. And we don't realize that all we're doing oftentimes is putting ourselves into a, a situation of of deferment, if you will, of hope. You cannot have heaven on this earth. That's not what it's designed to be, where it's designed to be, and we will never, ever have it. So there are going to be doomy, 
doomy, gloomy, uh, gloomy rather is probably the word I'm looking for. Gloomy days and some doom. I mean, it's going to be some difficulty and disaster. There's going to be some, some things that are just horrible in this life and we know it, but you still have to look to the positive. You got to find it as we trust in God in all things. Back to Proverbs, please. This time I'd like to go to chapter 16. This morning we talked about worry. Last week we talked about worry. Uh, just for a moment, again, don't worry about tomorrow. See, either we trust God or we don't. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Because, see, God is already in tomorrow. If tomorrow even comes, He's already there. He's waiting for us to come and to arrive there. But He already has it fixed. He already has, He's already taken care of it. So allow today to be today and do the very best that you can to be God's servant today. And when tomorrow approaches, when tomorrow gets here, be ready that God will take you through it. Just know it and believe it. Proverbs 16 and verse 20. The Bible says, He who gives attention to the word shall find good and blesses he who trusts in the Lord. To trust in God. What does that really mean, to trust in God? It certainly means not to trust in myself. It means to believe. Turn to Psalm 40. It means to believe that the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, will truly carry you through. Carry me through what? You don't, we don't even have to know the what. We just trust. We know that God knows exactly everything that's going to happen, that's going on. And we also know that He's there with us because He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 40 in verse 4. How blessed is a man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse in falsehood. He's not turned to man and said, Oh, I know that man can bring me through. No. The man who makes God his trust always turns to God first. Always. Sometimes I had the habit of Trying to fix it first and then realizing, oh wait, here are my limitations. I cannot fix it and then turning to God. That's backwards. You turn to God first. Right? Psalm 37. And then watch God work as you strive to accomplish whatever needs to be done. Trust. Verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. I love that verse. He'll do it. Trust Him. He'll do it. How many of us believe that? Proverbs chapter 14. How many of us believe that we can find true happiness in Jesus Christ our Lord, and that He will do it? He will take care of it. He will take care of us. How many of us believe that? How many of us trust that? The text says, adversity pursuers, uh, verse 21 rather, excuse me. Adversity pursues sinners, but the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. See, everything that's tied to Satan is always bad. Satan always brings us, you know, he brings us this, 
this package of sin and it's wrapped so beautifully and it looks good and it feels good and it's pretty but when you open it up it's like biting into a rotten apple it's rotten to the core but what comes from God is always perfect and pure and it may not always be as pretty as we'd like for it to be but it's always the prettiest you've ever seen when you trust in the Lord. And the reason it's not always as pretty in the beginning is because sometimes it's a test to bring us from point A to point B. It's a growing tool for us. We don't always choose the pretty. We always choose the prettiest, right? We like the best of the best. But sometimes... The best isn't always what's good for us. Because later on it brings to us horrible things that will destroy our souls. Proverbs 29 in verse verse 18. The the text speaks of our our future and and the the understanding of our lives. And I'm going to read it to you in the New American Standard. It, It says, where there is no vision... The people are unrestrained. And yet in the, in the New King James, it's where there's no vision. Uh, the, the, you know, the people what? People fail, right? You, you have to have some kind of, of goal, right? You have to have a goal in life. And, and so, what is your spiritual goal? What is your end game? Right? I, mean, I get it. I know where we are now. But when you think of joy and happiness and a merry heart, you gotta have an end game. You, you can't just show up for practice and then show up for some of the games without being able to see, alright, now we need to get to the playoffs and then to the championship. And so for us, it's we gotta get to heaven. You have to have an end game. How many of us have spiritual goals? And what, what is your spiritual goal for life? Do you have just no end game? You're just gonna wake up and walk every day in life and have no goals? You have to have goals to succeed in life. Proverbs chapter 21. In every walk of life, they'll always say, you have to have a goal. You have to have a goal. You have to have a vision, Proverbs 29 says. Without a vision, the people perish. You have to have a vision, a direction that you're going to walk towards. So do what is right. Godly living does something powerful to the mind. You know what it does? It removes guilt. Isn't that great? I mean, think about how many people that are walking around today with guilty minds, right? Let me, let me give you an example. How many times have you done this? You're driving your car, and then Scott pulls, <laughs> a police officer is coming in the opposite direction. What's the first thing you do? Right? I don't even have to say it, do I? Right? That's called guilt. Isn't it nice to live free of guilt? 21 in verse 15. The execution of justice is joy for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. It just... It just feels good to know and do the right thing. 
And here's what's challenging. What's challenging is the world is going in one direction. And God's children, it seems like we're going against the grain, against the crowd. They're always trying to get over. They're always pushing the, pushing the, you know, the limits and they're always going and we see them prospering. And sometimes it works. They don't have that true feeling of being right with God. And that's where true joy, true joy comes in. I want to close in Genesis chapter 4. See, here's a man who was struggling with his conscience. He was struggling with his mindset. Cain and Abel. He was struggling with envy and wickedness. The Bible tells us in the New Testament. Don't have a heart like Cain. He was struggling with, with what's right. He knew what was right. But in his heart... And in his mind, he was fighting it. And God comes and talks to him. And what God said to him is so powerful and so correct and so beautiful. And yet, Cain was struggling so harsh and so hard, he just couldn't in his mind. He could have if he listened to God. But he couldn't in his mind do the right thing. Listen to what God says. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? In other words, Cain, why are you walking around with your head down? A man of guilt, right? Why are you walking around with your your head hanging low and you're just, you know, kicking rocks? What's wrong? Why are you doing that? Because God knew that Cain was struggling with the attitude that he had toward his brother. So he asked the first question, do you have a good reason to hold your head low, to think the way you're thinking, to live the way that you're living, to have this envy and jealousy and anger towards your brother in your heart? And Cain knew the answer was, no, I do not. Verse 7. Then God gives the answer. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. You have to master it, Cain. Turn it around. You have the power to do it Hold on to God. Trust Him. Let Him be the leader, the ruler of your hearts. So that your heart can be filled with happiness and joy in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like Jesus, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Are you willing and ready to face your today? I didn't say tomorrow because I don't know what's coming tomorrow. But are you willing to live right now for Jesus? If tonight you're struggling and we can pray with you or pray for you, we open the floor up for that opportunity. If you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Jesus. Turn your life around. Come to Him and surrender to the waters of baptism that He might bless you forevermore in this life 
and the life to come. Thank you for your time. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.